Hey folks, uh, welcome back to another episode of The Social Life of Energy. You will hear my interview with Helena Solman, who I decided to contact because I was writing this newsletter about uh, legitimacy of wind energy. You can find it at sociallifeofenergy.substack.com. And I happened to see that she had just published this uh, major review of the literature on this matter, and particularly about different ways of engaging people in the process of making wind energy happen. What she does is interesting because um, she invites us to think about this participation in a different way. Most of the literature that I also discuss in this uh, newsletter is about deliberation, about sort of the right procedures to do justice to people's concerns, whether that be how they are involved in the decision-making process or whether they get due compensation or uh, benefit sharing in a project like that. And what uh, Helena suggests we do is actually to take a step back and with this concern, with deliberation, and look at this whole process uh, of decision-making from the perspective of the materiality of the wind turbines. Because if you invite people to think about precisely, okay, so what are these turbines? What do they look like? How could they look? Where would they be placed in the environment? What would that do? You are inviting them to constructively co-create, co-produce the wind turbines instead of asking, do you think that what we are proposing to you is acceptable or not? And that seems like a much more productive way to think about this idea of due process, about the idea of having fair procedures. It's actually involving them more and more deeply in the whole process uh, that might actually lead to more legitimate outcomes. Enjoy our conversation. All right, Helena Solman. Welcome and thank you for gracing um, my humble podcast with your presence. I'm uh, very happy to talk to you uh, about uh, citing uh, wind energy and different ways of participating in decision-making about uh, wind energy. Hi, Martin. Thank you for having me on today. It's a pleasure. Good, good. Uh, maybe we can start out a little bit about who you are and what you do. You do research about uh, wind. Can you tell a little bit about uh, what it is and how you are trying to make a difference? Yeah, sure. So um, you're right. Um, wind energy is a great topic of my interest. And my PhD focuses on the public engagement with wind energy. So. I'm really interested into how people can make a difference in the way in which wind energy is governed. And I think that we nowadays see that wind energy becomes really a um, large part of our energy infrastructure and wind turbines are becoming increasingly big and part of our landscapes. And I'm really curious in how people can actively be engaged in decisions about when, how, where, and by whom wind energy is governed, so. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and in the process of this uh, PhD, you have done this uh, sort of massive uh, literature review, which is actually the reason why we're talking here today, because I saw it uh, pass my um, LinkedIn feed, I think it was. And um, I thought, great, because this is uh, exactly what I'm writing on right now. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about what you did this literature review about and why you did it? Sure, I think so. That was really the first step in, of my research in which I, I stopped and, and started to think about what is that we actually know about public engagement? Because uh, no, my background is in, in, in spatial planning and landscape architecture. And what I learned is always that public participation is this phase at which people should be consulted. There are legal obligations, at least in the Netherlands, to have people, you know, uh, give their permission or voice about wind energy projects. And, and there is always, uh, always a trouble with it, right? There are always cases of opposition and we know how difficult it is to, to get everyone involved and uh, have an equal opportunity to express their concerns. And I think this is, this is really the key challenge of, of uh, energy transition that we have yeah, this increasingly resistance. Uh, there is a whole literature about nimbism, uh, right? So uh, all the reasons why people supposedly are really against uh, wind energy or other uh, renewables in their location. Well, in practice, there there should be a, there should be a kind of positive, or at least there is acceptance for wind energy on a on a on a larger scale. So um, I was really interested in: is it all that public engagement is? Or is there more to it? And so um, I tried to, to look at public engagement from a bit different perspective, and that's the perspective of co-production. So looking beyond people being invited in, in to participate in wind energy, and instead to look at, at the whole life cycle of really of wind turbines and, and what are all the decision-making moments about it. And so mm -hmm. I start with really the phase of at which wind turbines are being designed up until they are decommissioned. And, and I saw that there is a huge range of decisions that are being taken and a huge number of moments in which they can, people can participate, so. Okay, uh, this will be the, the sort of the basis for our talk today. Uh, we're doing things a little bit differently from the, most of my interviews that I've had. Uh, what you've, we've done actually is I've given you a draft of uh, the newsletter uh, that's coming up and we'll take that kind of as a launching pad for a, a broader discussion and precisely about this this issue of what participation is and particularly how you can maybe understand it differently if you look at it from the perspective of uh, co-production. In the newsletter I talk about this uh, article by Jorgensen and, and colleagues about um, different distributive justice mechanisms that they've come up with in, in Denmark and how it doesn't really seem to work. There is the uh, compensation mechanism um, and there is the uh, ability to invest in the wind development or some other way of sharing the, in the benefits. Um, I was wondering, having done this literature review about participation, what do you notice in what goes wrong in these cases? Right, so I think compensation mechanisms, they they are very interesting in that they, first sight, they might seem be interesting, right? Because you actually have, you know, developers uh, or project owners share or at least, you know, uh, compensate really people for the loss of their uh, 
environment. But I think that, that, that let's say, the problem starts with the whole idea of compensation to me, because once you admit that you have to compensate someone for it, it will never be, I think it will never be good enough because first of all, it already means that, that you admit that there is something intrinsically wrong about projects from the very beginning and that people really deserve compensation, which in, might be just uh, true, but it will just be probably a, a one-time financial incentive for people to, to say yes to a project or at least to, to give a legitimacy to projects uh, instead, of, instead of really having them truly involved in, in, in projects and in making these projects meaningful for them and, and maybe Im even improve them uh, based on what people actually find um, good and, and sustainable. Yeah. So that's the first reason. And the second is that when you are designing uh, compensation schemes, you always have to draw a line between who gets compensated, how much, and based on what criteria. And, and this is, I think, uh, uh, where all the problems in justice or injustice of wind energy start, because you will have situations when one neighbor gets compensated and another not. And it's yeah it's a it's a it's a source of conflicts it's a source of yeah many problems with wind energy where where you have to uh, decide what claims are legitimate what deserves compensation and what not and yeah i i just don't believe in compensation schemes myself but mm -hmm. um, maybe i'm just skeptical about it Okay. Yeah. So what I'm hearing is that um, the the compensation scheme is is part of this process where people have to say basically yes or no to um, to a project. So this one time moment of uh, legitimacy. Um, so the scope of participation is reduced to uh, this accepting or not accepting uh, versus an approach that would have uh, a more meaningful or wide ranging possibilities. For example, by the, improving the project. Yeah. Um, That's right. But I, at least I think that the um, compensation schemes, the, I, they are even called by some authors bribes, right? Yeah, and yeah, I think yeah. there is there is some uh, something to it because I think giving a um, monetary value or at least uh, one-time compensation to, to, to as something that is perceived as negative impact, it, yeah, it, in my opinion, it can hardly go well because you basically um, try to translate a very, as you say, complicated way in which people feel about, for example, natural environment, about housing uh, market values and all these other things into, into a financial compensation. So that's, um, that does not help in my opinion. Right, right, right. Um, so let's actually take that point and uh, move to the second article that I uh, review, which is the one by Catherine Gross, which is a little bit older, from 2007, I believe. And it's kind of a, a counterpoint in some way, because what the Danish um, government has done, in a sense, is bureaucratize uh, justice. It has created some standardized rules about who gets to have, uh, who gets to be compensated for a wind park. Um, and then these are taken into the sort of consultation planning processes. But what Gross actually said was about how to create legitimate wind development projects was that you pay attention not to these kind of rules of compensation, but that you 
find ways to uh, include people in the decision-making process by making sure that they are uh, involved uh, in the process uh, on time, uh, that they actually have a that their that their voice matters, that they, it contributes to the decisions that are being made, um, that there is some way of making sure that everybody gets to participate in an equal way, that the people who shout the loudest are not the one who are heard most, and that they get inf adequate information from impartial sources about what's going on, that there may maybe be a uh, independent facilitator of the whole decision-making process, and that when people say something about what needs to happen, that they actually get some kind of feedback or response from the process developer. So these are kind of very fairly, I would say, straightforward guidelines about how to do this. Um, so it seems like it's it shouldn't be so difficult to get this right, but it, it seems like it is. Uh, do you have a sense of why that might be, why it, it may seem complicated, but it is actually uh, complicated in reality? Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. Because uh, I think that the, the principles that she outlines, they are really, as you say, important and intuitively, intuitively uh, correct, right? But I think what uh, often is forgotten is that the kinds of wind energy projects that are being forgotten. And I think that's the biggest gap in um, in that uh, participation uh, discourse or literature is that we always look at the procedures and try to kind of develop a standardized way to go about it. Well, there are so many different kinds of wind energy developments, right? We have wind energy developments offshore. We have huge uh, wind farms uh, onshore that we have also small, uh, smaller uh, projects. And I think the way in which you are engaging people and what kind of decisions and justice processes are there is, is really depending on that. So I think it's easier to talk about getting these kind of processes right in, in case of one wind turbine for a smaller village, as opposed to uh, a nationally important uh, wind farm that will have entirely different kind of scale and uh, you know stakeholders involved and owners of, of these parks. So I think automatically the, the, the level of um, decision-making power that the local communities have in this kind of projects decreases. And so I th think what we are seeing is that um, it's in practice so difficult because uh, the way in which wind energy sector is moving uh, these days is, you know, upscaling. It's we need more and more wind energy infrastructure, also other sources. And then the, I think that the scale is increasingly bigger. So it's, it's really difficult to have ownership of uh, local communities that is really um, yeah, meaningful for them, and at least in the way that gives them a lot of say about how and where this wind energy project should uh, be located. So um, I think in principle, you, you would like to have everyone engaged from the earliest uh, stage. You would like them to have equal say, but in practice, it's less these uh, projects become more and more uh, professionalized and really owned by large multinational companies, there is no place for local communities from the very beginning to be involved and then discuss about, you know, how these projects will look like because they are increasingly seen as really uh, massive uh, wind energy, uh, new energy infrastructure. So I think that's, uh, that's part of the problem. And that's also part of the problem that Jorgensen sketches in Denmark is that these, um, 
these compensation schemes are really a symptom of lack of space for community uh, ownership and community uh, scale energy infrastructure. Now, I don't say that's uh, that's bad because I think to to go uh, uh, with the energy transition, we need to we need to think about different scale and also much more prevalent. I think energy infrastructure in our landscapes, but it's just uh, I think showing us that the way in which we think about participation is just uh, not catching up with these developments. Mm -hmm. And is there any way to salvage the situation? No, I think that there are a few things that we need to think about. And what is often forgotten is the wind turbine technology itself. So I think in the participation processes, we often discuss the acceptable uh, locations and whether basically ready designs or ready projects get support from local communities or not. And I think that the story can be much more nuanced in terms of how and when this kind of projects are acceptable. So uh, given, for example, concerns about birds, I think, or bird strikes, is it that people should say only yes or no to wind turbines, but they could say conditionally, yes, if you improve this or that. And so, for example, one of the, the ways to think about it is to, to really have uh, people having more say about how wind uh, farms are being operated what we do in case of uh, emerging concerns, right? And so to have uh, really mechanism for a continued participation and engagement mm -hmm. when new concerns emerged and really opening up, uh, I think, discussion about what kind of wind, wind turbines, how many, how tall are acceptable. And I think the, um, uh, there is a huge potential in uh, making better use of digital technologies in both the design phase of, of, of wind turbines. So to have better idea about how new uh, wind energy developments will look like, how much noise they will be producing, for example, how they will look in the landscapes, who will have uh, the negative impact of, for example, shadow flicker noise. And so to kind of make that much more tangible to people. Mm -hmm. And also to try to experiment, right? It's, it's uh, with, with the design. So to see what, what is better, right? Is it one smaller wind turbine? Uh, oh, for example, a few smaller wind turbines or one, one bigger, right? A, a better option. So I think we have to open it up more than letting only the project owner decide that actually we only want one huge wind turbine, right? Mm -hmm. Can you give an example of um, sub, an ex successful experiment in, the, in this way? You hinted at least as a few examples about what was it? How was this called? The bird strike? Yes. Yeah. Bird strikes in a uh, small island. Yes. So the, there is a, this part. This this case is actually not part of my review, but I came across it some time ago when uh, when reading about wind energy in, in Norway, and I find that really interesting how they go about uh, new wind energy infrastructure. Uh, first of all, because they already have quite a lot of renewable energy. And second of all, because they have very strict participation uh, criteria, let's say. Mm -hmm. So uh, I find that the, the level of co-production is there actually quite high. And so um, they really try to open up the participation process to decisions about technology as well. and. 
I think in some cases, you often uh, think that people want to have wind energy as invisible as possible. It's because they feel um, that they, you know, wind turbines are ugly or they should be out of sight. But I think what they, uh, this case shows is that actually uh, wind turbines in this case were made more visible and it, they were made more visible for birds because it was an important concern to community. So they embraced the wind energy in their local landscape. And because of the concerns for birds, they decided to paint one of the blades uh, black. And um, yeah, it, it really helped. The, there was a study that showed that the decrease in bird strikes um, was by 70%. So it was a huge, uh, huge improvement. And it just showed that um, people's concerns uh, you take them seriously and you, you take it as an important uh, input into how wind farms should look like, you come up with a different maybe kinds of conclusions than if you only have um, manufacturers or for example, wind park owners interested in managing wind farms for profit, basically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so this process of, uh, or also this example of the community having something to say about um, what the winter rides themselves look like, you call this co-production. Can you say a little yeah, bit about um, what that is and how this is different from, let's say, um, stakeholder consultation or uh, planning consultation? Right. So to me, uh, co-production, it's, it's, it has many, there are many aspects to it. But um, I think the, the way in which uh, technologies and landscapes uh, come together or co-evolve in, in, uh, in a participation process is an important part of, um, of uh, co-production. So, Co-production is more than um, participation because it it really opens up how technologies and landscapes co-evolve over time and in response to different concerns of people. So you, you can start already at the very moment in which wind turbines are being designed and think about how wind turbines should be innovated. Should we be going into increasingly more powerful wind turbines, increasingly higher, or should we innovate for small-scale wind turbines uh, that, that farmers will have on the land uh, or, or people on their roofs. It's just really opening up the design of, of wind turbines in an entirely different way than uh, you accept wind energy or not, basically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then co-production of landscapes is also thinking about uh, energy landscapes in, in a way that is more than a location that is acceptable. It's not ABC location. It's a, it's, it's a combination of wind turbines in their surroundings and in context of uh, the, the whole ecological system. So it's about the, the fauna and flora and how it's impacted and how it's, how it's changes because of the development. So once you have a wind farm, you can, or, or, or a wind turbine, you can ask yourself, how is the, uh, land use uh, change. Do people use the uh, area in a different way? Is there more tourism and more recreation or less? Is there uh, damage to environment happening? So it's it's not only the the decisions about which location is acceptable, but all the decisions about how how wind park will change and how it should be managed, how it will be used by whom it's a much more broader and complex uh, way of thinking about, uh, yeah, wind energy. Mm -hmm. 
And then maybe as a final question to, uh, to round this off, one of the um, key problems in the, um, in the experiences with um, stakeholder participation or planning consultation is the idea of community. This kind of relates to this topic that we earlier also had about the spatiality of like who gets to be um, part of the, the benefits. How does community figure into co-production or how does a co-production methodology relate to this question of who is in the process? Hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting question. I think it's a, it's a, indeed it's a huge topic on its own. I am personally not in uh, not in favor of using the, the word community too much because I, I think community has a very strong connotation, right? And I think the what I found in literature is that well, there there's at least two different kinds of communities that can be talked about. So it's the the local community, and that would be probably as Spatially demarcated, I don't know, everyone in, in, a, in a radius of one kilometer, five kilometers, say it, uh, of, of wind, wind farms. And there are communities of interest. And I think these, these, uh, these can be potentially different, right? So it, it might be easy to say that if there is a wind farm uh, developed in, uh, for example, um, a city, there you can say, oh, these are all people that uh, can see it and so they are the, the local community but if you for example uh, consider financial ownership I think what you're increasingly seeing that uh, because wind farms are becoming increasingly more expensive or they are large scale they're increasing the numbers of investors is, is growing increasingly and it's, so it often goes beyond that local area so you will have people investing not only from from you know, those who live nearby it, but also maybe even from across whole country. And so I think there is interesting question in how much decision-making power these actors have over whether wind energy should be developed or not, and how it should be developed, how it should be managed. I think there is a lot of gap in literature still about that. But I think if you ask about how co-production would look at who has the decision-making power, I, I I prefer to see to, to 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 speak about publics in general and how well what kind of concerns uh, really play out and who are the actors really voicing these concerns and how they kind of get involved in in the process um, rather than you know predetermining who these local communities are and saying okay these are uh, the people who can see it or um, the people who live on this and this street. I think that's um, a bit more, more complicated, but uh, potentially uh, more open too. Yeah, with the openness and the complication go hand in hand. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <it does. laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so if I try to summarize a little bit, this, the ultimate question with this, um, this newsletter was about legitimacy. Um, it's about justice, but justice is it, the assumption is that with a just procedure or with a just distribution of outcomes, you will also have a legitimate development um, project. And what I'm hearing you say is that a couple of things. Firstly, uh, there is a political economy of the wind development that uh, is inherently difficult to make just or legitimate just because of the scale of 
things nowadays. The fact that it's becoming more and more of a corporate thing, and that uh, so that it makes it inherently difficult. Um, and that may mean there there should be a larger role for community scale wind energy in the future. So going back a little bit in the to where we were earlier. But if you're even if you look at these larger scale developments um, by external developers, the legitimacy is paradoxically something that you can achieve if you stop asking for acceptance. If you stop asking people to say yes or no, but instead involve them in a much more complex um, range of decisions, then legitimacy is something that can come out of that process. Uh, acceptance is something that comes out of that process as a sort of a side effect almost of doing this kind of co-production approach. Um, and then lastly, this question of space and this question of community. Uh, what you're saying is that if you stop looking at community, but instead look at publics, that means that anyone who feels they are concerned with the project is allowed in some way to participate in its decision-making process. That means that you have to juggle probably a lot of different kind of interests and perspectives, but it is productive in the end, uh, is the hope or maybe uh, something that you've even seen happen, whether yourself or in the literature? Yeah, I would say that especially with, uh, with the different scales of wind energy project, it's just the traditional notion of community is not working anymore. So I think there are maybe few cases in which there can be a really clear cut made in who the local community is. But in, in most of the wind energy projects and developments that we will be seeing in the future, you know, wind energy is going offshore. Uh, wind energy is increasingly in, in, in a big scale uh, applied also onshore. So there you not only have local communities, but you have a lot of different interest groups who have a, who want to have a say in the environmental friendliness of these wind energy projects, uh, who are investing in these wind energy projects, supporting them financially, for example. And I think, you, yeah, you will need to balance them. And I think one way to go about it is to, to also have uh, put different processes in place in which people can have a say about the design of, uh, of, of these wind farms and even in the innovation of wind turbines. So I think that means starting really, really early already at the, for example, stage of design and innovation and having more transdisciplinary research, uh, much more um, cooperation with wind turbine manufacturers thinking about what are the sustainable solutions for wind farms? How you will be decommissioning them? What are the materials? And so asking really a lot of difficult questions and challenging questions about, you know, how wind farms can be part of our more sustainable uh, energy infrastructure, instead of assuming that that's the green and uh, sustainable solution that people should accept. That is a wonderful way to, to end this uh, discussion, I think. <laughs> Thank you, Elena, for uh, sharing your insights and commenting on the on this literature. Thanks, Martin. It's been really a great discussion, and um, thank you for having me. Mm -hmm.